You've heard about El Chapo and El Mayo, the Guadalajara and the Sinaloa cartels, but where did they all get their start? Where did they learn the trade of producing, cultivating, and distributing contraband? They all learned it from the granddaddy of them all, Pedro Aviles Perez, Don Pedro the Lion. So who was he? Well, you're about to find out. I'm Joshua Roberts, attorney at law, and you are watching Lawyer Up. In today's episode, we are going to take a look at the man who is generally considered the first generation of drug traffickers in Mexico. We're going to talk about his life, and not much is known about this guy. He was around way before social media, and he preferred to keep things quiet and under wraps. People disagree about when he was born, how he died. Heck, people don't even have a consensus on what this dude even looked like. So we're going to dive in and look at all of that. Then we're going to talk about the members of his organization, and it reads like a who's who of drug cartel history, with no less than 10 future cartel leaders starting within his organization. Then we're going to look at the mysterious circumstances that surrounded his death and the various stories about how that went down, including rumors about who may have set him up. Finally, we will look at what followed his death, the creation of the Guadalajara cartel and its rise and then fall. If you enjoy the video, hit that like button for me. If you got something to say, you got a comment, put it in the comment section below. Remember to subscribe if you haven't and hit that notification bell so that you are notified when we upload. And as you guys know, I love it when you share me on social media. Recall that all of our episodes are available in podcast formats on the major outlets. And we have merch. Get you some Lawyer Up swag. Get you a hat, t-shirt, a coffee mug. The link to order is in the description below. Pedro Aviles Perez, also known as El Leon de la Sierra, or the Lion of the Sierras, referring to the Sierra Madre mountain range in Mexico, wherein he lived and worked, affectionately referred to as Don Pedro, and he was also called Abigado, or the Lawyer, due to his mysterious ability to get people out of jail. Now, really, there was no mystery about it. He had a lot of the local law enforcement members on his payroll and money talks. While historians agree that he was born in Badirawato, Sinaloa, nobody can seem to agree on his date of birth. And we're not talking about squabbling over a few days or a few weeks. We're talking about years the Spanish Wikipedia page says he was born in 1931. The English Wikipedia page says he was born in 1938. There's a book called Desperados that pegs his birth date in 1940. And his actual grave marker says he was born on 411 of 1943. And then there is his cenotaph, which is a fancy word for an empty tomb or a monument that is erected to honor a person whose remains are actually elsewhere. So his cenotaph, which was erected by his wife at the roadside location of his death, 
says he was born on 411 of 1948. So between those sources, that's a span of 17 years. So when was Don Pedro actually born? Well, who the hell knows? Likewise, nobody can seem to agree on what Don Pedro even looked like. He was described as having a dark complexion, dark hair, a deep voice, and being well-mannered and respectful. He was said to be a serious individual who did not make jokes. He carried a 45 pistol on each hip, a short-nosed 38 on his leg, and was said to primarily drive a brown four-door Ford Galaxy. But going back to what he looked like, there are very few images of the lion available on the internet. The two most popular pictures that you see associated with tons of news stories in the United States and Mexico about Avilas show one of these two images. Not exactly a dark complexion, and some say these guys aren't Pedro at all. Our friends at the Corrido Files say that this is actually Avilas. This image is certainly closer to the image portrayed on Narcos Mexico for whatever that is worth. And while the other two guys have variations of Pedro or Aviles or Perez in their names, they are alleged to be both Chilean, that is from Chile, who were anti-establishment crusaders that were murdered by the military dictatorship in the 70s. Anyway, if you are interested in drilling down deeper on this discussion, check out the video on the Corrido Files YouTube channel. They have great narco content. Regardless of what he looked like, we know that he became a Mexican drug lord in the state of Sinaloa beginning in the late 1960s and is considered to be the first generation of major Mexican drug smugglers of marijuana and heroin. He is also the first known drug lord to use an aircraft to smuggle drugs into the United States. Second generation traffickers such as Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo, Rafael Caro Quintero, Rafa and Ernesto Fonseca Carrillo, Don Neto would claim they learned the trade from Pedro Aviles Perez. Now, drug trafficking has drastically changed over the past 60 years. In the beginning, violence was unnecessary and formal organizations were scarce. In fact, only two major drug trafficking organizations, if you could even call them that, even existed in the early 70s. Now compare that to today where law enforcement identifies the existence of nine separate drug cartels and 36 additional cell groups or gangs that are involved in some way in the Mexican drug trade. But in the early 70s, there were only two organizations or clicas or cliques or plazas that were involved in the drug trade. They were the Gulf and the Aviles organization. The Gulf cartel, as it is now called, was led by Juan Nepomuceno Guerrera and had been around a lot longer. Getting started in the 1930s, smuggling alcohol into the United States during Prohibition. They operated out of Matamoros, Tamaulipas, which is right across the border from Brownsville, Texas. And they were involved in a lot of different types of organized crime. Gambling, prostitution, car theft, and they peddled a little heroin. But in the 70s, moving drugs wasn't the number one area for them. Juxtaposed was Pedro Aviles, the Lion of the Sierras, 
with his center of operations among the Sierra Madre mountain range within the Triangulo Dorado or the Golden Triangle region of Chihuahua, Sinaloa, and Durango. It was from this remote location that he was able to establish a drug trafficking organization that sowed, cultivated, and distributed mass amounts of contraband. The lion primarily trafficked marijuana and heroin and also was one of the first to start trafficking cocaine into the United States from South America. And this was before Pablo Escobar emerged on the scene. And the name of the game was to get the drugs into the United States. Early on, Avila's main contact in the U.S. was Max Kosman, El Rey del Opio or the King of Opium who was a member of the Bugsy Siegel gang. And for those not familiar, Bugsy Siegel was a famous American gangster in the 30s and 40s with ties to both the Italian and Jewish mafias and who is largely credited with launching gambling in Las Vegas with his opening of the Flamingo Hotel and Casino in 1947. As the organization grew, Don Pedro acquired several men under his command, and it is a veritable who's who of future drug lords. So here we go. In Pedro Aviles Perez's inner circle was Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo, who would later become the leader of the Guadalajara cartel. Ernesto Fonseca Carrillo, Don Neto, the right-hand man of Felix Gallardo, and future Guadalajara cartel founder. He and Gallardo would be among the first to start working with Pablo Escobar in Colombia. And Rafael Caracantero, Rafa, who would be the third founder of the Guadalajara cartel. On the second rung of leadership, we have Manuel Salcido Uzeta El Cochiloco, the Mad Pig. And remember that name because he would go on a rampage following the death of Avilas to avenge his godfather and mentor. Then we have Juan Jose Quintero Payan, Don Juanjo, and his brother Emilio Quintero Payan. We also had Pablo Acosta Villarreal, El Zorro de Ojinaga, or the Ojinaga Fox, who worked closely with Amado Carrillo Fuentes. And Juan Jose Espargoza Moreno, called El Azul, or Blue, because his skin was so dark. He would later be involved in the Guadalajara cartel, the Juarez cartel, and eventually work with El Chapo in the Sinaloa cartel. Now on the third rung, all the way down the totem pole and barely getting started in cartel world was Amado Carrillo Fuentes, the Lord of the Skies, who would revolutionize smuggling cocaine through the air with his fleet of airplanes and who would later seize control of the Juarez cartel. An episode on his life is forthcoming on this channel in the very near future. Ismael Elmayo Zambala, who would become one of the founders of the Juarez and Sinaloa cartels once the Guadalajara cartel broke up. Joaquin Guzman, who you may have heard of, El Chapo, and his right-hand man, Hector Palma, of Sinaloa cartel fame. Finally, the Ariano Felix brothers and the Beltran Leva brothers were all getting their start with Pedro Aviles Perez. All of these legendary narcos worked with Don Pedro, would later be part of the Guadalajara cartel, and when it folded, would form various third-generation Mexican drug cartels. So if you ever wondered where they all got their start, 
it was with Don Pedro. And get this, back then, at least in the beginning, there was really no violence. And I know that's hard to believe with this bunch, but Don Pedro prohibited it. He saw violence as unnecessarily drawing attention to the group and a threat to the business. So the question is, how can you be in the drug trade without the use of violence? If you don't protect it, somebody else is going to take it, right? But that wasn't the way it was originally. Aviles was able to protect his empire with dollars rather than bullets. And here's how. The lion brokered a deal with law enforcement, and the deal had two rules. Don Pedro would be given zones of operation where he would be allowed to traffic drugs as long as, number one, he kept the peace in those zones of operation, and number two, he was willing to circulate some of the drug money for the benefit of the local economy. So, that's what he did. And with the green light, Don Pedro began negotiating cocaine shipments from Bolivia, Peru, and Colombia in the 60s. And this was actually before Pablo Escobar and the Medellin cartel got established. Now, in 1969, President Nixon launched Operation Intercept to stop the influx of drugs into the United States. And this virtually shut down trafficking for a spell. But Don Pedro eventually found some corrupt officials and moved his entry points to the border towns of Mexicali, Tijuana, and San Luis, Rio, Colorado, where he had border authorities paid off. And things went well during the early and mid-70s. As the group's success grew, several other traffickers or drug plazas began to spring up throughout Mexico. Things really started going sideways in 1978. Info from both the United States and Mexican authorities would later reveal that there was a power struggle that emerged between Don Pedro and Felix Gallardo that would ultimately lead to each man plotting a way to seize control for himself. We know that just prior to Don Pedro's death, there was a meeting of leaders of the various plazas that had sprung up in Mexico. Gallardo wanted to establish one large group of all of the major drug traffickers. Aviles didn't really see the need and took particular offense when one of the plaza rivals credited Gallardo for bringing all of the parties together. Regardless, we know that shortly after this meeting, the lion is killed. But to this day, much mystery surrounds how his death went down. And there are several different versions of how Pedro Aviles Perez was killed. So let's talk about his death. Now, part of it everybody agrees upon. It's September 15th, 1978, which is the day before Mexico's Independence Day holiday. Now, most Americans think Cinco de Mayo is their 4th of July. Well, it's not. It's September 16th. Anyway, the night before, Don Pedro and eight companions, including his driver and bodyguard and three women, are driving in two vehicles, one of which was photographed at the scene and confirmed to be a red 1976 Ford Dooley truck. The entourage is headed from the city of Culiacan in Sinaloa to the city of Tapuche. About six miles outside of Culiacan is a wooded area and a junction in the highway known as the Y. It is at this location where a federal judicial police checkpoint had been set up, 
purportedly in connection with the Mexican Independence Day holiday. At around 6 p.m., Aviles and his companions arrive at the checkpoint, which is controlled by Commander Jaime Alcala Garcia. And from there, there are at least four different versions of what went down. Let's talk about version number one, the government's version. When Don Pedro and his entourage happened upon the checkpoint, the government says the lead truck refused to stop and consent to a search and essentially tried to force its way through the checkpoint as men in the second vehicle opened fire. A shootout ensued that lasted about five minutes, which left all nine members of Don Pedro's entourage dead and six members of law enforcement wounded. Then we have version two, which is the local version. Don Pedro and a law enforcement official by the name of Cruz had purportedly set up a meeting at the location to discuss a bribe. After they arrive, Aviles gets out of his vehicle and walks over to the vehicle with Commander Alcala and Cruz inside. The window rolls down and Don Pedro is shot in the forehead as other members of law enforcement fan out and gun down the other individuals in his entourage. Now, version three is a variation on version two. In this version, there was no planned meeting, but the group happened upon the checkpoint. From there, Don Pedro exited his vehicle to negotiate their passage pursuant to the agreement he had with law enforcement to keep the peace and to invest money in the local economy. However, Commander Alcala refused to negotiate. He instead ordered everyone out of the vehicles disarmed them, lined them up, and then executed all nine of them in cold blood. Now, version four is the Narcos Mexico Netflix version. In this version, when the entourage is stopped, the driver is El Chapo and Felix Gallardo is a passenger. In the Narcos version, Don Pedro is gunned down and Gallardo is handed a pistol to fire the final shot into his skull. Also in the Narcos version, the whole scenario had been set up after a plot by Aviles to kill Gallardo that was discovered by Don Neto, who then flipped the script, enabling Gallardo to kill him first. It should be noted that the producers of Narcos have said all along that about half of what you see is based upon fact, and about half of it is totally made up. So what really happened? Well, who knows? That is for you to decide. Which version makes the most sense to you? Or have you heard a different version? Let me know in the comments what you think. We do know that at the time of his death, Aviles was named in 75 different drug investigations and there were 25 outstanding warrants for his arrest. And the United States had a bounty out on him. Reports conflict on whether the commandeer was paid that bounty from the United States in connection with the death of Don Pedro. So let's talk about Manuel Salcido Uzeta, El Cochiloco, the Mad Pig. News of Avila's death reached El Cochiloco, who reportedly was told, the lion fell, the boss is dead. Don Pedro was Cochiloco's godfather, mentor, and close friend. So Cochi basically went on a rampage of revenge. He went on a killing spree through Michoacan, Colima, and Guadalajara, killing anyone and everyone who he thought had any possible connection with the death. 
This included federal officers, federal snitches, you name it, he killed them. And the legend has grown over time, but some say Kochi killed over 75 people in avenging Don Pedro's death. And this killing spree was highlighted by catching up with the guy who spearheaded it all. Now, immediately following the death of Don Pedro, Comandante Jaime Alcala Garcia retired and moved to Guadalajara to run a small construction company. Cochiloco found him one evening as he was leaving a construction site and gunned him down as he tried to enter his vehicle. Rumor has it he unloaded 30 rounds into Alcala, held his gun over his head and said, this is the one I promised you, Pedrito. I have fulfilled my promise. I no longer have any commitments to you. Interestingly, Cochi would ultimately join Gallardo and Donetto in forming the Guadalajara cartel, which many point out he would never have done had he had any notion that either of those two men had anything to do with the death of Don Pedro. As for Kochi, folklore tells a story where he and two others stole several tons of cocaine off of a boat that was owned by the Colombians headed for Baja, California. They had stopped off in Colima to refuel, and that is where Kochi and company boosted the cocaine. And as the saying goes, Colombians do not forgive. All three of these thieves were ultimately hunted down and killed the most brutal of which was shot, then obliterated by grenades, tossed into his vehicle, and then he was burned. Kochi reportedly met his fate at the hands of an assassin on a motorcycle in Guadalajara as he sat in a car outside a nightclub owned by Felix Gallardo. So, with the death of Don Pedro, Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo, Ernesto Fonseca Carrillo, Don Neto, and Rafael Caracantero Rafa, would then take over the organization's leadership. And pursuant to their meeting, they coordinated the various plazas, their productions and operations, and formed the core of what became known as the Guadalajara Cartel, with all of the characters that we talked about before. And these guys took sling and dope to the next level. They started producing high-quality seedless marijuana in mass quantities from large multi-acre fields. They were also the first cartel to start working with Pablo Escobar and the Medellin cartel and assisted with trafficking boatloads of cocaine across the United States border. This was facilitated through Honduran smuggler Juan Ramon Mara Ballesteros. So drug trafficking in the 80s was dominated by the Guadalajara cartel who saw legendary traffickers like El Chapo and El Mayo moving up in the organization. Both of those guys have their own history of videos on this channel if you are interested. It was also during this time that a third major cartel emerged, the Juarez cartel in Chihuahua across the border from El Paso that was doing basically the same thing. So it's the early 80s and life was good with the Guadalajara cartel. Really good because they followed Don Pedro's example of protecting their trade primarily with money rather than bullets, and much of what they were doing was being protected by local law enforcement, politicians, and the United States CIA, 
who was using the Mexican drug trade to secretly fund Ronald Reagan's war against communism in Nicaragua. And after the Iran-Contra scandal blew up, it was the only way that Contras were receiving financial support. However, not everybody in law enforcement was on board. The United States DEA and the Mexican military were still seeking to bust drug traffickers. So, in 1984, acting on information from U.S. DEA agent Kiki Camarena, 40 Mexican soldiers, backed by helicopters, destroyed a 25-acre marijuana plantation known as Rancho Buffalo that had an estimated annual production of billions of dollars. This was an unbelievable blow to the Guadalajara cartel and to the United States' ability through the CIA to fund ongoing operations of the Contras in Nicaragua. And this was the second field busted by Kiki, so he had become quite the problem. The DEA says by January of 1985, quote, Kiki was extremely close to unlocking a multi-billion dollar drug pipeline involving the CIA, Mexican government officials, politicians, the local police, and the Guadalajara cartel. And it was because he was about to expose the entire operation that he was abducted in broad daylight on February 7th of 1985. Kiki was surrounded by five armed men, a mixture of Mexican Secret Service and Guadalajara men, who threw him into a car. Camarena was taken to a mansion, then owned by Arafa. There, Kiki was beaten, tortured, and interrogated over a 30-hour period. Ultimately, Camarena's body was found almost a month later, wrapped in plastic and ditched next to a ranch in Michoacan. It's a fascinating story with complicity of the United States CIA, but the specifics and the details are beyond the scope of this video. If you are interested, the entire story of Kiki Camarena is available on this channel in a separate video. Camarena's torture and murder prompted a swift reaction from the United States DEA, which launched Operation Leyenda or Legend the largest DEA homicide investigation ever undertaken. Under pressure from the U.S. government, Mexican officials quickly apprehended Don Neto and Rafa, but Felix Gallardo was able to evade arrest until 1989. Recognizing that the end of the Guadalajara cartel was imminent in the late 80s, several leading members of the cartel met and ultimately agreed to divide up the territories previously run by the syndicate. And this is an oversimplification of the division, but essentially here is how the rest of the members of Pedro Aviles' organization were dispersed. Felix Gallardo's nephews, the Ariano Felix brothers, formed the Tijuana Cartel, which was to control northwest Mexico in Tijuana and Baja, California. The Carrillo Fuentes family joined the Juarez Cartel, which was already in existence in the Chihuahua region in northeast Mexico, with Amado ultimately seizing control of the organization down the road. And El Chapo, El Mayo, the Beltran Leva brothers, Hector Palma, and several other former lieutenants, including Ignacio Coronel Villarreal, El Nacho, formed what would later be referred to as the Sinaloa Cartel. So by 1990, we have four major players in the game. The Tijuana Cartel, Sinaloa Cartel, Juarez Cartel, and don't forget that the Gulf Cartel was still in existence. But the first three were all comprised of leaders who originally started 
with Don Pedro. And we know in the 30 years that followed, the four cartels would fight and fracture into nine cartels that currently dominate the Mexican drug trade. But that, my friends, is a discussion for another day. So that's the episode. I hope you enjoyed going back to the beginning of Mexican cartel history to see where it all started. And note that there are several full-length videos on this channel that deal with what has happened since that time. We've got a video on El Chapo. We've got a video on El Mayo, Pablo Escobar, Kiki Camarena. If you want to know about it, it's on this channel. That's all for today. I'm Joshua Roberts, and you've been watching Lawyer Up. Send lawyers, guns, and money.